as they go down uh, really fits in well with our theme for the sermon series this year, living in the reality of our unseen God. Young people, we don't live for here and now. And that song so uh, well captures that theme, that we trust our God who knows the beginning from the end. And we can rejoice. So you're going through trouble today. You're going through challenges, something that you don't have the answer. Um, I, I, over the weekend, traveling with the Heritage Singers, talking to a young man, you, you don't need to know what happens tomorrow. Uh, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We need to know today and follow the Lord today. God handles tomorrow, and it'll be good. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, where do we end? In heaven. With our Lord and Savior. What more could we ask? What joy along the path to go there? So thank you, Tonal Defenders. That's a blessing. So we're going to do a couple things today. This is message number one, all right? So as far as I'm going to preach two messages today, hang on to your hats. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. This is just a little challenge, actually, at the beginning, and then we'll get to our actual message this morning. As we have the opportunity, Ephesians chapter 4, I will be looking down to verse number 29. As we have the opportunity to have folks come in and preach, obviously, many of our Bible seminary faculty are going to be preaching for us this year. We'll have pastors come in. Uh, We don't take that lightly. I understand that the giving of God's Word is critical to our spiritual well-being. Um, It is the tool that God has planned for this day and age to impact our hearts and lives to become more godly. That being said, often the messenger, like me, is quite fallible. Um, And there's a tendency, you young people are, let me, I'm thinking specifically of those that are just, you know, you're coming into college, your brains are waking up, and that's a great thing. We're at a critical point in your life where you're learning to, to be able to be critical in your thinking, not in the bad sense, but be able to put the dots together, the facts together in your life, and understand the connections. And so, it's common for college-age young people, university-age young people, to be uh, on the negative side of that critical thinking, and thinking you have all the answers, and you can evaluate the preacher in such a way, and know all, the, all of his faults, and all of his problems, and boy, if I'd have done it, I could have done a lot better than that. Um, for us to evaluate the Word of God, we are to be Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath when it deals with God's word. Quick to take it in. No matter the messenger. Uh, years ago, I think, I, was, I think it was in the academy. I was here for one year in the academy. Dr. Budol was, my, at that point, my trumpet teacher. And uh, I remember him relaying to me, and any of you would remember, some of you at least, would remember Dr. Budol. Um, philosopher. Um, all those things. And yet he said, he, he, you know, David, um, any man can be your teacher. It doesn't matter the messenger, it matters the truth that's being communicated. So I trust this, this year, as we go through these chapel messages, by God's grace, with the help of others, I've tried to choose, and we are continuing to do that in the second semester, choosing speakers that will bring to you the word of God in a right way, We do believe in expository preaching around here. We need the Word of God handled well. It is the most precious gift we have. And we want to communicate it clearly and rightly. And yet, as a listener, I encourage you, take in. It could be that the guy fumbles and falls. Your president will probably do that sometime this year. All right? Um, That's okay. Get past the messenger and look at the message. 
You say, well, boy, there's so much more in that passage, and he just dropped the ball on that. Well, what did he give you? And cling to that truth. Here's the verse. Are you looking at the verse with me in Ephesians 4, 29? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Um, I like to use the word for corrupt communication. That sounds highfalutin. It's not something we say every day. Don't let any rotten words come out of your mouth. Um, you know, you put a bad apple in a group of apples, and the good apples don't make the bad apple good. It goes the other way. Uh, we live in a, a sin-corrupted world, and sin is always at the door. In our lives, with our friends, it's always there. Don't let rotten speech proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good, to the use of edifying, this is the right stuff to talk about, that it may minister grace to the hearer. Even as you would sit down and among your students, uh, you know, your friends, and discuss the chapel message of the day, remember, your friends are hearing, and you want to give them grace. Gracious to the speaker, compliment what's good. You know, the rotten stuff, just leave alone. Let it go by the way. And rejoice to hear God's word, no matter what the messenger has done. Now, we want good messengers, and God has called the messenger of God's word to be a man of godly character, of righteous work. I've tried to spend my life literally studying to be a better preacher so that I can communicate. You say, well, you got a long way to go. I know, all right? But may God help us to listen well, all right? So there's message number one. Will you promise me before the Lord? I, no, don't promise me. Promise the Lord you'll listen well this year and pick up what God has for you from whoever is giving God's word. I trust it will be a blessing. Now, join me in Luke chapter 10 this morning. Here's the message to the message today, all right? The theme for this year, not the sermon theme, but the theme for just what we're doing around here. Uh, Dr. Davis has presented in a couple of different fashions already, but love in action. It actually corresponds well with the theme in Ephesians, I'm sorry, I'll get it, Hebrews chapter 11, as we walk by faith and see how that's lived out in our life. I wanted to take the time this morning to try to give you a big picture idea of where this faith comes in, how it fits in the overall scheme of us following and loving our Lord. If I love God, I will love my neighbor. This goes along with what James says in the book of James, that faith without works is dead, being alone. I can say that I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I have faith, I put my trust in him, but if there's no evidence, there's no faith. Faith without works is dead, it's not real, it's not alive. Jesus here in Luke chapter 10 addresses this same thing with a critic, Here's someone that's pretty critical of what he was hearing, and he was rather defensive of his religion, of what he had learned in the Jewish circle and culture. We're down at verse number 25. And behold, a certain lawyer, now this is not a Dr. Davis lawyer that knows the civil laws, all right? This is a lawyer that knew the Old Testament law. He was, if I can put it this way, he would be part of the Bible faculty of the temple's university of the day, all right? He knew the ins and outs. Um, I was having fun a little bit with Dr. Lick on Saturday at the soccer game. I wanted to know a rule, and I said, oh, thou knower of all rules, all right? He's a lawyer of the rules of Maranath, all right? There we go. So that's the idea, all right? So this is the lawyer here. He's the lawyer of the Old Testament law, knows it like inside and out. He spent his life studying it. He's dotted all of his I's, crossed all of his T's theologically. 
Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, at the face of it, that's a really good question. He's not asking to get the right answer. He's asking to defend himself, as we'll see here in the passage in just a minute. But what a good question. And Jesus is willing to answer the good question and put him on a spot in his theological error as well. So verse 26, Jesus said unto him, well, lawyer, what is written in the law? How readest thou? And the lawyer answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Now here, wrapped up in this wonderful quote from the book of Deuteronomy, is a great challenge and a, a, just a great expression of what really salvation is all about and then the living out of our salvation. When I come to faith in Jesus Christ, I'm putting it in New Testament terms now, I come to love the Lord as my Savior. He's the one that's delivering me from sin. But then that last little phrase, and love my neighbor as thyself, all right? I come to love the Lord as the Lord. I cannot receive Jesus Christ as my Savior without the acknowledgement that he is God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords. He's the one. That's why his work on the cross of Calvary atones for all our sins. Because he, as God, died for us. As man died for us. The perfect God-man. His sacrifice is eternal, utterly sufficient And so if I don't recognize him as that, I'm not saved. I must receive Jesus Christ, not just as my fire escape, but as my master. Make sense? That goes right right along with what God taught in the Old Testament. As they looked ahead for their Messiah to come. Love the Lord, love your neighbor. That expression of loving your neighbor is expressing that God is my Lord, and I'm going to live out my faith in my life. Love my neighbor as myself. What does Jesus say? Verse 28, he said unto him, that was answered right. You got it, pal. This do, and thou shalt live. Now, the problem was the lawyer wasn't doing it. His faith was not a faith in Jehovah God as his Savior and Lord. He was believing his religion, putting his trust that he had dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, and was going to be right. He earned his way to his glorious kingdom. So, we see this revealed in the next verse. Here's the lawyer answering now. He's thinking, but he, willing to justify himself, um, he wants to show himself just. He wants to claim innocence. And so, Mr. Lawyer Guy, that knows all the ins and outs of the law, ha ha, All right, I've got Jesus right where I want him. That's what he's thinking in his mind. And I'm going to get him to say what I think is right. He willing to justify himself said to Jesus, well then, who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus never misses a wonderful opportunity to teach us. Remember our theme for this year is love in action. If you love God, we'll be able to see it. And so Jesus answers this wonderful question. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, 
A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among the thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. I love how Jesus immediately kind of thrusts the spear of conviction right into the heart of the lawyer. One of his fellow guys that has all the law figured out, and he's blowing it here, all right? He's not being a neighbor. And likewise, all right, let's go down to the second tier, all right? And likewise, a Levite, ones that helped in the sacrificial system, were available for serving in the temple site, um, did all kinds of things about God. Well, boy, shouldn't this guy know how to love his neighbor? And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him. Maybe was there a moment of conviction? I don't know. He at least looked for a second and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, the dogs. Any strict Jew had had a a law outside of the law, outside of the God's law, that said you didn't have to be a neighbor to any non-Jew. Just the Jews were God's people. Just the Jews were my neighbor. So Jesus, knowing how to tell the story to bring conviction, plants in the parable a non-Jew. And what does this non-Jew do? Demonstrates reality of loving God. A Samaritan, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, where this guy was, it was injured, wound, half dead. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He loved his neighbor and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow... When he departed, so the Samaritans got to go on to whatever's going on, and he took out two pence, gave him that to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. 